The Lord be with you. A reading from the Holy Gospel according to Luke. Tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to listen to Jesus. But the Pharisees and scribes began to complain, saying, This man welcomes sinners and eats with them. So to them he addressed this parable. What man among you, having a hundred sheep and losing one of them, would not leave the ninety-nine in the desert and go after the lost one until he finds it? And when he does find it, he sets it on his shoulders with great joy. And upon his arrival home, he calls together his friends and neighbors and says to them, Rejoice with me, because I have found my lost sheep. I tell you, in just the same way, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over ninety-nine righteous people who have no need of repentance. Or what woman, having ten coins and losing one, would not light a lamp and sweep the house, searching carefully until she finds it? And when she does find it, she calls together her friends and neighbors and says to them, Rejoice with me, because I have found the coin that I lost. In just the same way, I tell you, there will be rejoicing among the angels of God over one sinner who repents. Then he said, A man had two sons, and the younger one said to his father, Father, give me the share of your estate that should come to me. So the father divided the property between them. After a few days, the younger son collected all his belongings and set off to a distant country, where he squandered his inheritance on a life of dissipation. When he had freely spent everything, a severe famine struck that country, and he found himself in dire need. So he hired himself out to one of the local citizens, who sent him to his farm to tend the swine. And he longed to eat his fill of the pods on which the swine fed, but nobody gave him any. Coming to his senses, he thought, how many of my father's hired workers have more than enough food to eat, but here am I, dying from hunger. I shall get up and go to my father, and I shall say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I no longer deserve to be called your son. Treat me as you would treat one of your hired workers. So he got up and went back to his father. While he was still a long way off, his father caught sight of him and was filled with compassion. He ran to his son, embraced him, and kissed him. His son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I no longer deserve to be called your son. But his father ordered his servants, Quickly, bring the finest robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Take the fattened calf and slaughter it. Then let us celebrate with a feast, because this son of mine was dead and has come to life again. He was lost and has been found.
Then the celebration began. Now the older son had been out in the field, and on his way back, as he neared the house, heard the sound of music and dancing. He called one of the servants and asked what this might mean. The servant said to him, Your brother has returned, and your father has slaughtered the fattened calf, because he has him back, safe and sound. He became angry, and when he refused to enter the house, his father came out and pleaded with him. He said to his father in reply, Look, all these years I served you, and not once did I disobey your orders. Yet you never gave me even a young goat to feast on with my friends. But when your son returns, who swallowed up your property with prostitutes, for him you slaughter the fattened calf. He said to him, My son, you are here with me always. Everything I have is yours. But now we must celebrate and rejoice because your brother was dead and has come to life again. He was lost and has been found. The Gospel of the Lord. Thanks Thanks be to God. So our old friends, the Pharisees, Sadducees, and scholars of the law are at it again. These silly cats just keep coming after Jesus, and every time they approach him to test him, to probe him, to challenge him, they get shut down by Jesus in one way or another, and today is no different than the gospel. Here they are again, these silly Pharisees, Sadducees, and scholars of the law, and this time they've got a really big complaint against Jesus. Jesus, what are you doing hanging around with all the wrong people? What are you doing eating with, Terry, sharing fellowship, table fellowship with, with sinners and tax collectors and prostitutes and God knows who else, the awful people, the dirty people, the lowly people, the people of the earth, the people of the land. You're not supposed to do that, Jesus. Why are you doing that? So Jesus says, okay, you guys, I've got a story for you. And so he tells them this beautiful story. So a shepherd, a shepherd goes, has his hundred sheep, and he loses one of the little sheep. And the sheep is God knows where, but this shepherd is so loving and such a good shepherd of his sheep that he will do anything to find that one lost sheep. He will run through the desert. He will get scratched by the brambles. He'll get stung by the bees. He will search up and down and through the rocks and over the cliffs and in the caves to find that lost sheep until he finds him. He will stop at nothing. He will do everything and anything to find that lost sheep. And when he finally hears the bleeding of the sheep and he goes and picks him up and finds him safe and sound, he puts him on his shoulders and he takes him home, takes him home to safety. And then he has a big celebration to celebrate the lost sheep that has been found. And for Jesus, it doesn't even matter the other 99 sheep. The only thing that matters in this story is the extraordinary love and mercy and care that this shepherd has for that lost sheep. And 
And why not celebrate having found a lost sheep like this? And, and he's saying to these Pharisees and Sadducees and scribes and whomever else, you know, this is who God is. This is what God does. This is what I'm doing. So come on, and you should be doing it too. Come on in and celebrate with me, with these lost sheep that have been found. Well, the story makes no impact. The guys are still looking at them like this. First of all, maybe most importantly, they don't like being compared to a shepherd because shepherds were ick, ugly, dirty, lowly people. So Jesus says, okay, let's try this again. Same story, different characters. Instead of a lost sheep, we have a lost coin, a gold coin, one of ten. And it's, it's, it's for his, the housewife, it's, it's everything. I mean, this is how you feed your children. This is how you care for them. To lose a gold coin was like, like losing your children practically because that's how you'd feed them. And one gold coin, that's like a week's worth of food or maybe a month, who knows? And in the little house which she's living in, it's built of basalt, and it's dark in there, and you can't see. And where did the coin go? It's got to be here somewhere. And that housewife, that housewife, just like the shepherd, she will do anything to find that last coin because it's food for her children. And she searches and she searches and she lights a lamp and she looks and looks and looks. And, and if her floor is covered in stones, she will get a great big iron pry bar to lift those stones up to look under them. She will do anything until she finds that coin. And when she finds the coin, what does she do? She goes and invites all her neighbor lady friends and they come over and they have coffee and cake. I don't know. <laughs> they celebrate. It's the same story. And the Pharisees and the Sadducees and all the other guys are standing around saying, doesn't touch us, doesn't move us. We don't like being compared to housewives. So Jesus, okay, you didn't like the shepherd, you don't like the housewife. Let's try someone like yourself. Let's try, a, I'll tell this story one more time, but this time the story focuses on a father who's a dignified man. He's a man of wealth. He's a man of stature in his community. He's got lots and lots of land and lots and lots of cattle and lots and lots of sheep, and he's got lots and lots of everything. And this guy who is a great grandee of the village, of the town, of the country perhaps even, he has two sons, and the younger son is a real dirtbag. You know, he is just one of those kids that always wants to do everything wrong. And he gets to a certain age and he says to his dad, Dad, you are dead to me. I've never loved you. I've never liked you. I've never really respected you. In fact, I probably actually hate you. You are dead to me, so I want my half of the estate. And the father stupidly, against every custom and norm of his society and his culture and his religion says, okay, I love you so much, my boy. You can have it even though you've broken my heart by calling me dead to you. And the kid takes all of his possessions, his share, and he sells it all at cut rate, and he takes the money and runs off to a foreign land, a land of pagans. And by this point, everybody listening to this story is going, ooh, 
this kid is really, really awful. He's unimaginably awful. No person, even a bad kid in our culture, in our society, in our religion would ever do that to their dad. But he did it. And even worse, even worse, he takes all his money and he spends it in a foreign land and he loses it to his people. He loses it to his tribe, to his people, his country. And, and, and that's just as bad. It's even worse. And then, of course, we know that bad things happen to him. You know, a famine comes and he gets hungry and he doesn't have any money anymore. He's lost it all. And, and he finds himself working on a farm for a farmer with pigs. You know, for a Jewish person to even be near a pig was the worst thing in the world. Swine were like the most awful creatures. They were dirty and impure and ugly and foul and you didn't want to get near them ever. It wasn't just a matter of not eating pork. It was a matter of you didn't even get near them. You didn't raise them. You had nothing to do with them. And here he is taking care of swine. Again, this is unimaginable. How could a good Jewish boy, even if he's a bad Jewish boy, find himself taking care of swine. And then even worse, Jesus goes even deeper into the horror of this story by saying he's so hungry, he wants to eat the stuff the pigs are eating, but no human being can digest the stuff the pigs eat. So really what Jesus is saying, he's so low that he wants to be a pig himself. That's how low he's gotten. Well, then we think we have a happy moment. The kid comes to his senses and says, I'm going to go back to my father and I'm going to say to him, I don't deserve to be your son, blah, 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 blah. And anybody hearing this story in the first century would have said, oh, that's a trick. That is a trick. This kid is so bad. And the very words he's using, this is just another ploy. This is just another scheme to play his old man. He's going to go home and he's going to play like he's sorrowful and he's going to get his nose under the tent and eventually work his way back in where there's plenty of food, where he won't be hungry anymore. But there's no sign that this is an authentic conversion. He does not change. He does not change himself. He does not say to himself, okay, now I have to be a good guy. Now I have to be respectful and loving and caring and go back home and all of that stuff. It's just a scheme. It's just another ploy. It's just another way to play his old man. So he goes home and he, he gets close to the village. And what happens? This is where the story becomes really, really radical. The father sees the son a long ways off. And what does he do? Any good Jewish father would say, this kid, he's got to go to jail. This kid deserves a punishment. This kid deserves the spanking of his life. But no, the father runs to meet his son out on the road. He runs, which means only in their culture, the only people who ever ran were little kids, adults especially men of status and stature, never ran. So he lets go of all of his dignity and acts like a little kid running. But even worse, even worse, and I, I know, ladies, you're not going to like this, 
Even worse, to run, it means he's got to lift up the hems of his garments so he can run. And the only people that would ever do that were women. So he's becoming like a little guy, a little kid, and like a woman so that he can get out there. He's letting go of everything that he has. He's letting go of his dignity, of his stature, of his respect. Everybody's laughing at him as he runs out to meet his son. And then what happens? He embraces his son. And he hugs his son and he kisses his son. And it's only that extraordinary love, that self-giving love, that letting go of all of his old self, his respect and his dignity and his stature, that he is able to overwhelm the son with love and mercy and kindness and compassion. And it's at that moment that the son is changed and made whole again. Not through his own efforts, but only because the irresistible grace of his father has overwhelmed his evil. Well, then of course, you've got to have the party. That's the celebration. My son was dead and now he's alive. He's been lost and now he's found. Let's have the party. Kill the fatted calf. Bring in the musicians. We're going to spend a million bucks celebrating. And, and at this point in the story, that's really where you would think it would end because that's where the other two stories end with the party, the celebration. Jesus is saying to the Pharisees, come on into the party. Come on into the party of God's mercy, the celebration of love, the celebration of forgiveness without end, without limitations, without qualifications. Come and celebrate what God does and is. Come and celebrate who I am. Come and celebrate the fact that these sinners who were lost are now found, who were dead are now alive. But that's not where the story ends. Jesus is looking at these guys and they're not buying it. Even this story, even this version of the parable with the father and the son, they're standing there with their arms crossed and going, Jesus, you are so heretical. So Jesus adds an extra little piece to the story. There was an older son too. And the older son was good and righteous and obeyed and did everything right. But when push comes to shove, this older son, though he is righteous, though he is pious, though he is obedient, he does not love his father either because when the father invites him into the feast, he won't come. He disgraces his father at least as badly as the younger son does. And when he tells this part of the story, who's he looking at? He's looking straight in the eyes of those Pharisees and Sadducees and scribes of the law who've challenged him on why he eats and drinks with sinners. The older son is full of poor me. I never got this. I never got that. You've never been nice to me. I've always been good. I'm blah, blah, blah. I've always said my prayers. I've always done everything right. And you never, ever loved me. And the Godfather's saying, oh, God, I've loved you to the death. I love you both. And he puts his arm around and says, but your brother, your brother was dead and now he's alive. He was lost and now he's found. Come celebrate with me. Come on into the feast. 
Don't dishonor me by your anger and your self-pity and your righteousness. And you're too good to be hanging around with your sinful brother. Don't give me that. Come in. Celebrate. And Jesus does not tell us how that story ends. He doesn't tell us whether the son comes in or not. Because he's leaving that response to the Sadducees and the Pharisees and the other guys that are standing there looking at him. It's their moment to say yes to God's mercy without limitation, without qualification, without any sort of limitation at all. And we don't know how the older son responds because Jesus doesn't tell us. We do know how at least some of those characters responded because at least some of them go off and continue to not only pester Jesus with their stupid, silly questions and testings and probings, but also eventually to begin plotting against Jesus' life. And that's a terrible sadness for Jesus and for everyone. That God's gracious, infinite mercy made flesh in Jesus would not touch their hearts. That though they too are being embraced by the Father's love, they are walking away from it in their righteousness, in their holiness, in their too good to be hanging around with a bunch of sinners-ness. And guess what? Here we are, and the same challenge is posed to us, except we're here in the celebration. This church, if it is anything, is the, the party hall of mercy. This is the hall of feasts. This is the dinner place. This is where the people of God gather as sinners who have been found, as sinners who have come back to life. And Jesus is asking us to recognize where we are. Each and every one of us, a sheep who has been found and embraced and brought home. Each and every one of us, a gold coin who's been found and brought home. Each and every one of us, a prodigal son and daughter who have been brought home and embraced by God's forgiving love. And so we too celebrate in this feast of forgiveness, this feast of mercy, this feast of God's love without limitation. And, and if we don't see what we're doing here, if we continue to stand back like the Pharisees and say, not for me, not for me, I'm too good for all of that. I'm too holy, I'm too pious, I'm too obedient. Then we're missing the point of this feast of forgiveness that is the Eucharist, that is the Lord's Supper with sinners. And the great challenge when we come through the doors of this hall of feasts, this dining room of God's love, is to recognize God's mercy at work in all of us and to take that mercy, 
to take that forgiveness, to take that extraordinary love, the love of the shepherd, the love of the housewife, the love maybe most of all of the father, and bring it out to our poor world, which so desperately needs a taste of the joyful mercy of our loving God, a mercy which endures forever.